0: Yeah, it's so great to be with you. And we uh, and, and Pastor Peter, my wife and I, had the privilege of knowing him and his brother who was here as well from uh, before the days when they were married and they uh, came to Fort McMurray and visited us. I think maybe even stayed with us. And uh, we've just been friends ever since. And it's such a blessing to see Peter on staff as your associate pastor here. And so we thank God for that. And, uh, and then, of course, a number of people from our church in Fort McMurray over the years have ended up attending here, some for a short period of time, some for that are still here with us today, and, and among them is one of our leaders, uh, Lorraine Demers, Lorraine and Doug, all the blessings that you folks have been uh, to Fort McMurray community at large and to McMurray Gospel Assembly in so many, many ways. And, uh, and, if, and if you are here today, And you're just here for the very first time. Uh, You are here in a good place. I mean, just hearing how the church was conducted today, the worship time, and the, the words that Pastor Peter shared. I said, man, if I lived in Warrenville, this is where I'd be. And I'm so glad this is where you are. The Lord bless you fantastically. Amen. Lois and I are both glad to be here. Hon, would you stand? This is my wife who's been with me 150 years. <laughs> yeah, she's the one that helps me to stay on the straight and narrow <laughs> and uh, and also to encourage me and hopefully we encourage one another. Yeah, so some thanksgivings. Uh, today, we no longer, I, I really miss, Lois, and I both miss pastoring a church. We've, we've done it for almost 50 years and, uh, and now we are serving as the fellowship pastor for Canada which basically is to help other pastors uh, be a listening ear, uh, provide resources, encourage whatever and, uh, and then we also look after uh, 14 regions in Canada uh, and each of them has regional coordinators, some of them an assistant regional coordinator to uh, help the people with boots on the ground in their area. And uh, so that's kind of what we do. So we normally travel quite a bit, but of course this year it slowed down, but we still do, uh, some here in western Canada. So, uh, and in that role, we get to visit churches and to see what's happening. And last Sunday, a week ago today, we were, we had church on the banks of the Red Deer River, uh, just north of Red Deer by Black Falls. And, uh, and the occasion was to welcome 14 ministers to the Fellowship of Christian Assemblies in Canada. Six of them ordained ministers. Eight of them were being licensed as ministers in training. And all of them had joined with us to be a part of God's kingdom here in Alberta. It was so exciting. These are all Filipino churches with Filipino leaders. And, uh, and uh, you know... Uh, Today, if you're a Filipino here, you people, there must be something in the water in Philippines that makes you so good. You, you, you are awesome people, tremendously industrious, working, uh, achieving people, and hearts after God, and willing to go the extra mile and more. So we just thank God for that. Uh, 2021, we get the privilege of hosting the National Convention of the FCA in Canada, right here in Edmonton, Alberta. And it's gonna be the week of May 3rd to the 6th in 2021. And, uh, and we are inviting, uh, of course, people all across Canada to come to the conference. And we have great keynote speakers, uh, Pastor Russo from Central America, who heads up the ministry called A Nation in a Day, Where they go to a nation, South America, Central America, and they have a a week of just blistering evangelism with evangelists that they have trained here in Canada and America. And usually three to five thousand of them descend upon this country with the permission of the president of the country. And, uh, And at the end they ask the president for no rental on their biggest stadium they have in their country. And every president so far has agreed and gives them this big stadium and they'll have 50, 60,000 people come to this stadium and many of them receiving Christ as their Lord and Savior. It is absolutely awesome. So he's going to be one of our guest speakers and then Dr. Loveless St. John from Toronto we call him the Bishop of Toronto (laughs) Uh, he's going to be the other keynote speaker and then your pastor Pastor Greg and his wife and probably some of you that he's recruited to work with them, they're looking after the the daytime uh, sessions, uh, breakout sessions, uh, with themes and with speakers. And Pastor Greg, we believe, is just the man that is well-chosen for this task to bring along uh, pertinent keynote speakers for the day sessions. So that's all happening, and you are welcome to come. Anybody, once it's online, it's probably going to be another month, or two before we have registration online, and you can register uh, for that conference. You do not need to be a pastor. You just said that you're a part of this church. You are welcome to come and be there. And we got some thanksgivings, more thanksgivings. I have both an uncle and his son, my cousin, that were at death's door. My uncle two years ago, my cousin just two months ago. And, uh, and both were doomed to die, according to the medical staff. There was nothing they could do. And guess what they both just did last week? They both drove in a van together with their families from Seattle to Minneapolis to, to, uh, to celebrate my Uncle Bob's 89th birthday in Seattle. <laughs> and they're totally well. Jesus is Lord. Amen? He is our healer. And we thank God and praise Him for that. Amen. The next slide, we can put that up, while we're waiting for it to come. I just want to say a warm welcome to those of you that are online. I just thank God that we have this technology at a time like this when, when this virus hit, that we have this technology, you know, with uh, Facebook, uh, you know, people communicating with each other, but also uh, uh, live streaming of churches. So people, some of you probably are at home with a cup of coffee in your hand and sitting in your pajamas and enjoying the morning service, (laughs) and God bless you for that, and we thank you for remaining as faithful uh, members of this church or participants in this church from wherever you may be. Amen. My title today is The Rest of the Story, and uh, The Rest of the Story, I chose that title. I actually borrowed it from a gentleman by the name of Paul Harvey. How many here have heard of Paul Harvey? He's one of the greatest entertainers in America. Uh, he made more money on the radio than than anybody did on television at that time in in his history. He's an Incredible guy, and uh, he uh, he uh, passed away in 2008, as you can see, uh, 1918, so he was 90 years old. And uh, what a what a man! And he. He broadcasted the parts of the story that don't get in the news. You'd have a news report talking about somebody that was saved from a car accident, but he'd get the background news to it. And it was always positive, always a blessing. And, uh, and uh, what a man he was. And so he had some of his famous talks that I remember, and you can get them online. Just do, Google Paul Harvey. Uh, God made a farmer. One of his most popular Popular speeches was that, and they're only short. They're only like two, three minutes long, and uh, letters to the father, ode to the police, many, many more. And at the end of his little talk, he would say, "Good day," <laughs> and that's about the way he would say it. And so uh, I've taken his, I've taken his title, the rest of the story, to title our service today. And uh, for those of you that are here today, and you are, uh, you know writing up a resume for a new job. I know you might need some help, so have a look at this cartoon. You can do anything because you wash washed your hands for about six months. <laughs> I've washed my hands so often, the skin is peeling, you know? And, uh, and so uh, I thought that was just absolutely humorous. Okay, the next slide. Deaths of Despair and the Future of a Capitalism. This is a book uh, published by Princeton University Press uh, by two reputable authors, and, uh, and it indicates that you and I have reason to be concerned about North America, particularly, and our world, both Canada and the States. And one of the quotes I took out of the book are this, is this quote, Jobs are not just a source of money. They are the basis for the rituals, customs, and routines of working class people. Destroy work, and in the end, working class life will not survive. How important work and employment is to people besides bringing home a paycheck. It's our lives, we were made to work. We were created to be industrious, to be creative, and to do things, to invent things, to make things happen. And that's part of our life. The satisfaction that comes out of working is huge. The dissatisfaction when you can't work anymore can also be huge. And so uh, uh, I think that book would be worthwhile reading. I confess to you I have not read the whole book, but I've read the sections of it, and it's very impressive. From 1999 to 2017, 600,000 midlifers in America died, but would have been alive to this day okay, if progress had gone on as expected, instead of having this, where people are locked in at home and isolated oftentimes. And then, of course, together with that, we are facing an era of much discussion and disagreement on everything to do with coronavirus and at all its implications. And we have professionals on the sides of yay and the sides of nay on all of those subjects. And so that leaves you and I, as lay people oftentimes confused just what is the truth what is it that you can trust and how do you know what's right about this whole situation so confusion has settled upon a lot of people so in the midst of all of this I want to share with you the rest of the story today so if we could go to the next slide we'll just ask God to help us father I pray that your Holy Spirit shall guide and direct us today Lord as we as we search the scriptures And discover, oh, Father, how we can be winners and overcomers at a time like this. I pray, Father God, for everyone in this room. Lord, that that each and every individual will go away from the service today with hope in their hearts and with an opportunity, Lord, to take a step forward in spite of, and not necessarily because of, all that is happening in our world today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Romans 15 verse 13 is a scripture that the Lord gave me I believe in January this year as kind of a what should I say a significant text for 2020 and here's what it says may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit I love this word first of all Our God is a God of hope. He's not a God of despair. He's not a God who's throwing in the towel. He's not a God who's giving up on humanity. He's a God of hope. And uh, Paul the Apostle writes this as a prayer, and he says, I pray that that God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace. And notice, he didn't make joy and peace dependable upon the political situation of his day. Paul lived during a very politically difficult time, extremely. What you and I are facing today is small potatoes compared to what he faced in his life, where they were abusing and, and uh, criticizing and tormenting and even killing people of the way, people who were followers of Christ. Paul himself spent many times in prison, and uh, he never calls himself a prisoner of Rome. He always calls himself a prisoner. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's overcoming perspective, amen. Don't make yourself a prisoner of another human being. Recognize yourself to be a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you get in a tough spot, or if you had a bumper-to-bumper, you know, car accident, you know, uh, you know, it, this is not the end of the world for you. You are a prisoner of Christ. You are a fellowship believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the difficult situations as well as the happy situations, God is there. And so the God of hope, he wants to fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. It's not going to happen if you don't trust in him. And so may the Lord bless you as you do that. And and then he wants you to overflow with hope. You're not getting a teaspoon. You're not getting a little few salt shakers. You're getting an overflowing abundance of hope. For your life today and tomorrow, for your family, for your home, for your business, for your church. God wants you to abound in hope. You are not called to despair. God is a God of hope. He sent his son to bring hope to mankind where you and I live. And we live in a world today where despair is running wild. But you and I can run with hope. Amen? God is a God of hope. Let's look at the next slide. Hope doesn't come by itself. Romans 15, verse 5 and 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement. Isn't that wonderful? That you and I serve a boss who does nothing but encourage us. (laughs) Amen? He gives encouragement, and he also gives you the will to endure. He's going to help you to run the race. You will not bow out when you have the encouragement of God. When you have the hope of God when you have the endurance of God, but with the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. God wants you and I to be united in mind, united in soul, united in heart. One of the greatest tactics of the devil is to separate people, separate families, husbands and wives, parents and children, siblings, oftentimes in our world today, get separated from one another. Because it's the way that the devil knows that he can destroy your life. He can destroy the well-being of your life, your family, and your home. Jesus came to bring us unity and harmony. And one of the greatest prayers in the Bible is found in John 17. It's the real Lord's Prayer. The Matthew 6 prayer is the disciples' prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's actually the disciples' prayer. Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. But John 17 really is the prayer of Jesus. And in that prayer, he prays for himself. Then he prays for the disciples, the 12 that were with him. And then he prays for you and me that would become followers through their message. So we're all covered by the prayer of Jesus. And you know what the absolute passion of Christ was in that prayer? Unity. Unity. That we would be one just like he and the Father are one. Unity is the big ticket item with our Lord. Disunity is the ticket item of the enemy. What you and I see today, folks, both in Canada and America, that's dividing people, the disunity of people, is nothing but the trick of the enemy. And there are people that are willing to give him their time and their place in order to promote disunity, in order to promote anger and resentment and so on. And I like the song that you folks sang here today, that... uh, that uh, praise and thanksgiving is our ammunition against disunity. <laughs> it's our ammunition against the evil one. Amen? Giving thanksgiving to the Lord and praise to the Lord. So, uh, So, and in that context, there are people that are failing and that are weak. And he's asking you, in verse 1 of chapter 15, that we who are strong should bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. In other words, we will not buy into narcissism. We are not going to be me, me, me. We are going to be him, 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 and then you, 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 and then me, me, me. Right? If we have life in that order, you're going to live a fantastically overcoming, exciting, hopeful life. But when you put me first and others second and Christ third, you're going to have trouble, buddy. It's not going to be a fun life. It's fun to be able to live with Jesus in the driver's seat. (laughs) Amen. Because he can all of a sudden decide he's going to turn down Montrose Avenue when you live on Fraser Street, you know. And so he wants you to know that when he directs you to turn on Montrose, he's got a plan. And the plan could be something as far out as stopping in front of a house you don't even know, and ringing the doorbell, and say, "I was just driving by, and I happen to be a follower of the Lord Christ, and I just felt that God was asking me to pray for His blessing upon your home." Can you Imagine what people would say, or think, or do. You know, most of them would not get their shotgun. Most of them would say, "Wow!" Some of them would start bawling and crying. How in the world did you know? You know. We need to be obedient servants of the Holy Spirit. When He directs your life, take the corner. Amen? But narcissism would say, no, 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 that's not going to help me. You know, I'm going to keep on me, me, me. <laughs> oh, what a thrill it is when we begin to walk with God and we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and that we would honor Him in our lives. So, so now, who among us is strong? It says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Who are the strong? The strong are those who lean upon Christ. They are those who recognize that in themselves they have no strength. But in him, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And we can bring that message to people that are weak and struggling. Faith, hope, and love, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Those are the big three in God's agenda. The Bible tells us that now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is three. The, the three characteristics of the universe are going to be faith, hope, and love forever. But the greatest of them is the love of God. God has called you to be a person that experiences faith, hope, and love. When you get up in the morning, you don't immediately turn on the TV and listen to all the bad news. You plug into heaven and you say, Lord, I believe in you. Lord, because of you, I have hope. Lord, because of you, I can love my wife, my husband, my children, my family. I can love my neighborhood in a way that I could never otherwise love. Amen. Faith, hope, and love. That puts gasoline in your tank. Amen. The next slide, if we could look at that. The rest of the story includes a message for all of us who are tempted to throw in the towel because the clock is ticking, the calendar is going, and God hasn't come through for me the way I thought he would. I've been waiting for the miracle. I've been waiting for the direction. And somehow it seems like it's not happening. Well, let's look at what the Bible has to say to us. There's a famous promise that has has made its way through the entire Christendom throughout the world, and that Jeremiah... 29.11. It's easy to remember because you can remember 9.11. Well, this is (laughs) 29.11. Amen? I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Amen? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God wants to give you hope so that you can experience the future that he has planned for you. God is a dreamer. He's a strategist. He's an encourager. And so we quote that verse, and we thank God for that verse, and we write that verse on cards, and and, and we, and we, 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 we quote that verse with friends and neighbors and family members. But some people I've run into have got discouraged. Because you know what? They said, I prayed that prayer, and I believe that God will give me a future and a hope, but where is it? I don't see it. It's not anywhere in my life. Right now, my life is really topsy-turvy. Things are upside down. I don't know if that's true anymore. And so people begin to doubt the word of God, begin to doubt God himself, and begin to put him on the back shelf. Why? Because the promise didn't come through today or last week or last month when I thought it would happen. And so we give up on God. So our problem is this, folks. When we read that scripture, we jump to the end result instead of recognizing that there's a process to get there. It may not happen today or tomorrow, but if God says it's going to happen, it will happen in his time. And how many know that his time is the right time? Now, there's two prophets in the Bible uh, that are right around that chapter. Jeremiah 28 and 29. 29 is the the promised chapter, okay? But chapter 28, there's another prophet by the name of Hananiah. Hananiah also prophesied, along with Jeremiah, to the children of Israel, that Babylon was coming, and Babylon was going to capture them and take them away and put them in prison or retrain them, re-educate them to be Babylonians. And, uh, And so... And, but after a while, God would rescue them and he'd bring them back home so that they would not remain in Babylon forever. Hananiah said, You know what? God spoke to me and he said it's going to be two years. Folks, that's a piece of cake. We can handle two years. We'll struggle for a while, but in two years we're going to be back home. Jeremiah says, uh-uh, uh. It ain't two years, Hananiah, and you know better than that. <laughs> he said, You are a false prophet. He said, it's going to be 70 years before my people get back from Babylon. Well, which prophet are you going to believe? You know, most people would believe Hananiah because that's doable. I can do that. But when you talk about 70 years, man, that's a whole lifetime. I I don't think you're of God, Jeremiah. I think Hananiah is God's man. How many know that we tend to see And want God to be in the mind of the prophet that makes us, that gives us the easiest prophecy out. Right? The one that appeases me, the one that appeals to me, is the one that I'm gonna hang on to because I'm sure that God wouldn't want me more than two years. Jeremiah said it's gonna be 70 years. Guess how long they were there? 70 years. (laughs) Hananiah died as a result of being a false prophet. The last chapter, or the last verse of, Chapter 28 says that he died because he was the false prophet. Now, what am I trying to say here? The rest of the story is this, folks. God's promise is always true. What you don't know is the timing of it. For instance, we know that barring the coming of Christ, all of us in this room are going to die. There's not one of us that are not going to die unless Christ comes first and raptures us. Okay? But none of us knows when. My beloved mother was only 25 years old. She had three boys. I was the oldest, four and a half years old. My next brother was three. My next one was one. My dad was a farmer. This is not the time for mom to go. This is not the time that she should be there. But she was gone. Dad was broken hearted when the joy of his life was snuffed out. But he didn't lose faith. He continued to trust God. Thank God, two and a half years later, Dad remarried my wonderful stepmom, who never was a stepmom. She was my true mom, from seven years old on to the, to the day that she died in 20, 2006. And uh, her name was Betty McKay from Irma, Alberta. What a woman of God she was. She was pragmatic, practical, down to earth, loved God with all of her heart, And she adopted us three boys, not officially or formally, but spiritually and emotionally, together with the two girls that she and my dad had together afterwards. So there's five of us all together. What a wonderful mom she was. What a blessing she was. We were so glad to have the mom that she was. Now, timing. No mom should die. No parent should die, you know. Or, or should, uh, no, child should die before their parents, right? And uh, we all should live a ripe old age. But that's not the case, folks. We do not know the day we're going to die. And when somebody dies or passes away in the Lord, we know we have hope in heaven, according to Second Corinthians 5, verse 1. God's going to take us, our tent away. The tent is your body. How many know that the tent leaks a little bit? Especially as you get older, you know. It doesn't always keep the rain off your head. But this tent is going to be traded in for a big mansion. Amen. A home that's being built without hands by the Father in heaven. What an incredible story. And so we come to Matthew 25, where we read about the ten virgins. Great parable. Now here's a story. You, when, you, when you hear messages on the coming of Christ... How many know that most of the time the messages will tell you this? Be ready today, because Jesus may come today. In fact, Jesus is going to come very soon. And I've heard that message since I was a kid. But Jesus has not physically come back to this earth yet. He will, but he hasn't yet. And so we are expecting Jesus to come in the next day or two, or next month or two, but it hasn't happened. Why? Because his time schedule that he has on the wall of heaven has not ordained him to come yet. He has his own time for his own reasons. Amen? And so, we look at the story of the ten versions. There was five wise and five foolish. Who were the wise ones? The ones that took extra oil. Who were the foolish ones? The ones that took no oil. Now, if you were to look at that story all by yourself, in the light of human judgment. A lot of us as humans would say, what in the world is wrong with these women that have come with extra oil? Don't they have faith? Don't they believe God? I mean, the bridegroom's going to come right away as soon as we get there, but they're bringing this extra oil because they're afraid their lamps are going to go out. That's foolishness. They're exhibiting a lack of faith. But guess what? The bridegroom didn't come when they thought he would come. He delayed his coming. It was a lot later. By that time, all the ten virgins were sleeping. Finally, when the horn blew and the bridegroom was coming, the foolish ones saw their lamps had gone out and they had no oil. So they couldn't go into the wedding. The wise ones once had oil. They added oil to the lamp and they went sailing right on in to the wedding. And the door was shut. The foolish ones went to buy oil. They bought some oil. They came back, but it was too late. The door was shut, and they couldn't get in. What's Jesus saying here? He says, folks, be ready for the long haul. God's time isn't always five minutes or five hours down the road. Sometimes it can be five years. Sometimes it can be a lifetime. But you and I are called to be obedient to the one in the wheelhouse. Amen? The master navigator knows where he's going. The master timekeeper knows what time he should come. Amen? And so today, you and I, the rest of the story is telling us, be ready for any time, whether it's today or tomorrow or ten years from now. Amen? I. And when we don't believe that, we can end up, if we don't trust the master, we can end up in sad situation. True story, I read from uh, a periodicals a number of years ago. Graduation time, high school graduation in the school. And uh, usually, and this was an upscale school in an upscale neighborhood where there was a lot of wealth. And the practice among many parents in that school was to provide a, a new car for the graduating son or daughter. They'd have a brand new vehicle for them. And so the son of this particular family was looking forward to that new car. And the week before the graduation, the father and the son drove around town looking at all the cars in town on the dealership. And the father not promising anything. He didn't say anything about getting one. They just looked at the cars and went back home. And on the day of the graduation, the father handed his son an envelope and a box. And inside the box was a Bible. And inside the Bible was an envelope. But the boy did not know it. And so the boy took the Bible, looked at this Bible. Is this all there is? He threw the Bible into a corner, stomped out of the room, and said, Dad, I will never, ever see you again. Well, the boy grew up, became a businessman in northern states, And then one day the note came to him that his father was seriously ill and he might be passing away. The boy went to visit his dad. He got there too late. His dad was already gone. The boy sat down and began to think about the past and about how horrible his father was and how insensitive and how stingy he was that he wouldn't give him a new car for his graduation. So he begins to pack up the items in the home. And he comes upon one particular item. It was the very Bible that his dad had given him on the day of graduation. He took the Bible and he opened it. And inside the Bible was an envelope. And inside the envelope was a writing of how proud he was of his son, how thankful he was for his son. And there was a check for the price of a new car in that envelope. What happened to that son? There's no way he could make Make it up to his father. He now realized how stupid he had been by not taking that Bible and opening it. If Dad gave me that Bible, this must be something very special, this book. And he would have found the envelope. And sometimes, folks, we get too frustrated to go through the book and find the envelope. Sometimes we misinterpret and misunderstand God because of his seeming lack of timing or his seeming lack of understanding, or his insensitivity to our expectations. Folks, God is worthy of your trust. He is called the Father. This is called the Father's house. Amen? And you and I worship in the Father's house, the Heavenly Father, because he is always on the right time. We're going to hurry up here. The next slide. The Critical despair turns to hope. We're going to close with this. This is one of the most unbelievable stories. Imagine you being one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. okay? And you followed him. He called you from your fishing net. He called you from your tax office. He called you from wherever you were to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And you left everything behind. And you began to follow him. As you followed him, you got more excited. Because you saw him heal the eyes of the blind. You saw him help crippled people walk. You saw him take a little boy's lunch and feed 15,000 people. You say, Glenn, it was only 5,000. It was 5,000 men besides women and children. So there must have been at least 15,000 people that ate from a little boy's lunch. They saw him raise a woman from the dead. They saw him raise a little boy from the dead. They saw him stand outside of Lazarus's tomb and call Lazarus come out. And they saw this man covered with grave clothes, tied around, hopping out with grave clothes like this. He's alive. He's been dead for four days. He's putrefying. But he's alive. This Jesus is awesome. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. But then come crucifixion day. They kidnap him in the garden. They take him to Pilate. They judge him, that is the high priesthood, judge him to be worthy of death. They take him to the whipping post. Many people never made it past the whipping post. It was so cruel. And they beat him within an inch of his life. They make him carry his cross for part of the way until he couldn't do it anymore. And then Simon carries the cross for him the rest of the way to the hill of Mount Calvary. They lay him on the cross, and they thought, now he's going to punch them out. He's going to show his boss. He's not going to let them nail him to the cross. But they do. They nail him to a cross. They raise the cross. They watch him die. They take a lifeless body down from the cross. They put it in an empty tomb. And they all go running to Jerusalem, into a home where they can lock the doors and the windows and absolutely bawl their eyes out and say, we made a mistake. This is the most horrible thing we've ever done. We thought he was the Messiah. He must be the ruler. He did all these miracles, but now he's an ordinary dead man, just like all the other people the Romans have killed. What are we going to do, guys? Well, I'm going to go back fishing. I'm going to go back farming. I'm going to go back tax collecting. I am going to be so embarrassed, so ashamed to meet my family, to meet my neighborhood, to meet my friends. I made the most horrible mistake of my whole life. But then comes Sunday morning. Sunday morning, the piano begins to play. Sunday morning, the music begins to play. Sunday morning, angelic beings come to the gravesite. The stone is rolled away. Not to let Christ out, but to let the disciples in to see that there's no body there. Jesus didn't mean to roll away the stone to get out. He could just peer right through walls, concrete or stone or wood. He had a new body, just like you and I will have a new body when we get ready to go to heaven. Jesus said, touch me and feel. Put your hands here. Look at my fingerprints. And do not be doubtful, but be believing. He, Jesus did all of that in order to pay for our sins. But he also did it so that it was an indescribable truth of his life and his death and his resurrection that nobody throughout human history could ever successfully deny. By going through the cross, by going through the tomb, and by emptying the tomb, and by living with his disciples for 40 days after the tomb, there's no way that you cannot be a follower of Christ if you're willing to believe the truth. Amen? And so today, folks, Thomas was not there on that first day that they met Jesus. But a week later, he was there. Jesus said, Thomas, put your hand here. Look at my hands here. And be not faithless, but be believing. Thomas didn't even touch him. He didn't even go as far as to put his fist in the wound in his side. He simply fell on the floor. And he said, my Lord and my God, hallelujah, the risen Savior. He's the reason I'm here today. He's the reason you're here today. Jesus is alive. Jesus is all powerful. Jesus will win the war. We are not victims. We have been called to be victors. Do you believe it today? Let's stand together as we give praise and honor and glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I tell you what, this so excites me. I say, oh God, may we ever, never, 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 never come to the place where we doubt or question not only the Bible, but the history. People that not even Christians write about the death and resurrection of Jesus, including one of the great historians of Jewish history. And I am just so glad that I've been privileged to become a child of the King, to become a child Of my savior to know him as my lord and my savior i am a sinner i was saved by his grace i have been loved and accepted by my lord and savior and so have every one of you if you are here this morning and you've never invited christ into your life you've never invited jesus to become your lord and savior if you are at home and you've never invited the lord jesus to become your lord i can't think of a better time than today Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Don't hold it off. If God is calling you today, I invite you to pray a prayer of acceptance. It's your choice. It's your decision. But now is the time. God has called you. So I'm just going to ask us to bow our heads in prayer right now. And if you're here today and you say, Brother Glenn, I really want to become a follower of Christ. I want to serve him with all of my heart. I know and believe that he's the real deal. And I'm ready to give my future to him. And I'm going to trust him for my entire life. Just pray a simple prayer. You can pray your own words, but it can be something like this. Dear God, I accept your son Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I need you, Lord. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to become a true follower of yours and that I will live for you the rest of my life. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You prayed that prayer and you meant it with all your heart. God heard it. God is embracing you right now. And he's welcoming you as a child of God. My second question is for you that are Christians. You love the Lord. You know him. But you have been seemingly lately attacked on every side. There's many things that have come at you. And you have have despaired. Sometimes of of faith. Your faith has grown weak. Maybe you've despaired even of life. Maybe you've wondered, where is this time going to lead us? And you watch the news and you get more confused and you get more despaired. I encourage you to change channels and watch the news about the good story. Amen. The real story. Listen to gospel music. Listen to the preaching of the word. Get a hold of a Bible. Begin to read it every day and let the true news become your news. But if you're here today and you say, Glenn, I need help, I need help. I've got some of that despairing going on in my life and uh, fearfulness and so on, questions and wondering. And if that's you, would you just slip up your hand and I'll see it and I wanna pray with you. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you for being serious. God bless you for being faithful. God bless you for trusting that God can help you right now. Lord, you see every hand, and you see every heart. You see every soul. You see every mind. And Lord, you know what every one of these folks are struggling with. I pray today in Jesus' name, God, that faith and hope and love are going to spring up fresh and new again in every life here in this room. And for those that are at home that may be listening into this, oh God, that we will understand that you have promised never to leave us nor to forsake us. You will always be with us. And Lord, you told us that you're the God of hope and you're here to fill us with joy and peace in believing that we may have an abundance of hope in our lives, that we will not give in to despair, but we will adopt hope the hope of God to become our daily appetite and our daily meal. Thank you, Father. I pray now in Jesus' name for healing of emotions, for healing of mind, for healing of body, for healing of spirit in every one of us, and that we may go from here today absolutely confident in the power of the risen Lord and the promise that he has made that we would walk with faith, hope, and love. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God our Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be upon us all until we meet again. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. God bless you.